Amen. Man, I love having I love having Garrett and Shelby and Zach and John and Carolyn up here with our worship team, but what a sweet opportunity this morning just to sit with a piano and our voices and just to worship. Some of you might not ever remember a time in church when that was just the case. When uh, a tender, sweet, elderly woman would sit right up at the piano often. And you'd have often her husband who would stand up and lead the worship. That's the way it was for me growing up. And uh, gosh, I enjoy worshiping and hearing your voices. Hearing the uh, sound of God's people uh, rise to worship Him, to praise Him, to thank Him. And Melissa's right, it's good to come broken. Because we come to the one who can fix it. And when we approach today, as we've been going through this series called Sound Doctrine, we are reaching the apex of where we move from all of the knowledge into all of the application. Remember we said last week when we talked about holiness that knowledge is useless if it does not lead to application. You guys know what use, useless knowledge looks like. Do you remember an individual named Ken Jennings who set the record for how many times someone could appear and the total number or total amount of money won on the show Jeopardy? A wealth of knowledge he was. But even he knows that knowledge without application is useless. Now for him, the application came in the form of paycheck after paycheck from the wonderful NBC Corporation. But, you and I must understand that we cannot sit and take all of the knowledge that we have of Jesus Christ, of, His, of God's Word, of the Holy Spirit's work in our life, and we cannot just sit and hold it without applying it. If you have your Bibles taken, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've begun this series in discussing different things about knowledge and about what sound doctrine is good for. Sound doctrine is for life. It is for you and I. God gave us His Word so that we may live in it, abide in it. Sound doctrine is for reading and teaching. We come to church, we come to Bible study, we sit and pour over the Word so that we may know what we need to know. Sound doctrine, like we talked about last week, is for holiness. That sound doctrine should move us. If we truly believe that God is who He says He is, and truly believe that Jesus has done what He says He's done, then our response to that should draw us into holiness, into pursuing after Christ, into following His every word. And this morning we come to something that a lot of us struggle with. Sound doctrine is for love. If you have your Bible open to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, would you stand with me in honor of the Lord of the Word and the Word of the Lord? 
a familiar passage. Many of you have probably heard this at your own wedding, if not another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and even if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, it is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irresistible or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends, as for the prophets They will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your presence in our life. We thank you for your love. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to even come into your house, to even sit at your feet, to even be broken before you in worship, to even hear your word. We thank you for the opportunity. God, may it produce, may your word not go void. God, may you be glorified. Jesus be exalted and lifted up this morning. May your spirit work in our hearts. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. If I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, We are not short on the amount of faith. It's just a mustard seed. We are short on doctrine leading to faith. Because if we had a mustard seed size understanding of God, then we could easily move mountains. So Paul is saying here, if I have a great doctrine... But do not have love, I am nothing. Nothing. No thing. We are non-existent, non-existent, unnoticeable, undesired. We can possess all knowledge of doctrine, have all the answers, even have the answer for the world. And we can still be greatly irrelevant may i pose to you that i believe and i fear that this is where most of christianity is today we have all of these folks in this camp that think they have the answer and there are those over here that think they have it right 
And they can back it up with a lot of theological talk. We have Calvinists over here and Arminians over here. We have conservatives sitting quietly in their pew over there. And charismatics running around shouting somewhere. We have Old Testament scholars and New Testament junkies. We have disciples of every theologian known to man who know more about the Bible than most professors of theology do. We have so many that know so much about God, about Jesus, and about the Holy Spirit. Yet our world is in disarray. And our world is running away from the gospel and running away from the church faster than we can catch up to pull them back. We have literally learned ourselves into irrelevance. We have grown to know so much that means so little. We must learn, church, to love again. You see, we can sit in our pews clinging to our own piety. After graduating from the Lifeway School of Literature with a Lifetime Achievement Award for Sunday School attendance and a commemorative collection of quarterlies dating back to 1950, or we can take the wonderful knowledge that we possess and we can apply it with love. Take your Bible and turn over to Titus chapter 3 with me told you when we began this series that we would look at Paul's writings specifically to Timothy and to Titus. Two young men who Paul considered basically his own sons. Both communicated with on the matters of theology and doctrine and application in the church. Titus chapter 3, Paul writes something very interesting to Titus here. Titus is right between that one book, Philemon, and right between that other book, 2 Timothy. It's a bunch of small books. I'll give you a second. Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus, our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. You see, Paul wanted to communicate 
that there is a whole lot of things that we can know. But unless we are willing to love someone other than ourselves and something other than our theology books, we will accomplish very little for the kingdom of God. Doctrine does a few things for, our, for us. If you're taking notes on the back of your bulletin, here's your first one. Doctrine on God leads us to love God. Doctrine on God leads us to love God. What do I mean by that? I mean by that this. That if we truly know and understand who God is, we cannot help but see ourselves in need of Him. There's one and only living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being. The creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. He is all-powerful and all-knowing. His perfect knowledge extends to all things, past, present, and future, including the future decisions of His free creatures. To Him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals Himself to us through the Father who loved us and would call us heirs. Through the Son who would give Himself in love as a sacrifice for our sin. And the Holy Spirit who ministers to us in love day by day by day. If you and I truly, truly have been called by God into relationship, and we truly understand who He is, we cannot help but love Him. When it is revealed to us that the God of the universe created us for relationship, sent His Son so that we could have that relationship, how can we respond any other way? Second, doctrine on man guides us to love our neighbors. When we come into relationship with God, we have to see the plight that is going on around us. The Baptist Faith and Message says this, the sacredness of human personality is evident in that God created man in His own image, and in that Christ died for man. Therefore, every person of every race possesses full dignity and is worthy of respect and Christian love. If we truly understand man as God created him, it guides us to love our neighbor. And you've heard it said time and time again, who is my neighbor, preacher? It is everyone. God has called you literally to love everyone regardless regardless of who they may be we're in a tension filled time in our society in our culture in our nation right now wrapped around the concept of equality A battle that many thought was done through the civil rights movement. 
a battle that many thought was done through the women's rights movements. And yet, Satan has infiltrated again the hearts of man to suggest that somehow someone does not deserve our love. The Baptist Faith and Message also says this, in the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism. Every form of greed, selfishness, and vice, and all forms of sexual immorality, including adultery, homosexuality, and pornography. We should work to provide for the orphaned, the needy, the abused, the aged, the helpless, and the sick. We should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life, from conception to natural death. Every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. In order to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any good cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and His truth. Titus chapter 3. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. Church, I become so greatly disappointed. I become so greatly heartbroken when I see Bible believing. Christ-proclaiming, often God-honoring men and women who support, and I would even say allow, racism, allow inequality, allow the unborn to go on not having a voice. Allowing a society to continue to run away from what God is desiring for all of us. We have forgotten to love our neighbor. We have forgotten to speak in love to our neighbor. You may say, well, Well, Brother DJ, what about those people who disagree with all of those things that you just said? Surely you know that there are those out there who are racially prejudiced. Surely you know that there are those who believe in hedonism in which we should all do what pleases us with no regard for others. Surely you know that there are many who would suggest that a woman has a right to do with her body what she pleases in relation to an unborn child. And surely you know that there are many who hold that we should not mix church and state. What about those that disagree with you, you ask? I say disagree with them. Believe it or not, that is allowed. It is okay to disagree with someone. And it's okay for them to disagree with you. But Christian, listen to me. Please fight with every fiber of your being for the principles of equality, 
generosity, selflessness, purity, caring for the marginalized, the sanctity of human life, and righteousness and truth. But do it in love. What did Paul write to those in Corinth? I can do a whole bunch of stuff, but it all amounts to nothing without love. So how then do we deal with those who oppose us? Number three. Doctrine on providence teaches us to love our enemies. If God is provider and protector, if we believe in providence, that God is the one who provides and protects for us, why do we so often shy away from our enemy? Titus 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And he goes on with a fantastic switch. For we ourselves were once foolish. You ever been foolish? Yeah. We were once disobedient. You ever been disobedient to God? Yeah. We were once led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But. You see, you and I were in the same place that any enemy that we have stands. But somehow we feel as though we can run away, that we can sit in our high tower and avoid anything that disagrees with us. And we do it all in the name of righteousness. And we do it all in the name of self-righteousness. And we do it all in the name of, well, that's not what good church people would do. And we do it all in the name of something that is so far outside of what Scripture tells us. If we truly believe that God is going to protect, if we truly believe that God is going to provide, why do we forget what He did for us? Verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteousness, because you and I didn't have any. He saved us because of the love that He had for us. By His mercy and His grace, He saved us. Poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus. Listen. You and I, we love to get in arguments, but we don't love the people we're arguing with, do we? See, we, we want to have those arguments. Well, I can tell you exactly why you're wrong. But we're not doing that out of love. My sister and I used to argue a lot. Can you believe that? Amy, can you believe that? My sister and I used to argue a lot. And pretty good arguments, actually. No matter what the subject, Krista had to be wrong because she was simply my sister. 
Now, my sister is seven years older, just for some reference. And possibly the most frequent place for immature debates came in the back seat of the car. And after many attempts to correct anything that I said, or anything that I would say, Krista would finally turn to the front seat and pronounce, Dad, will you tell DJ that he is wrong? To which Dad would always reply, Krista, quit trying to argue and reason with a four-year-old. And then he would say, You'll never win. Ain't that the truth? Do you know the same is true when we try to win against the world? You and I will never win that argument, at least in a manner that causes heart change in our enemies. Rather, what does Proverbs 25 tell us? If your enemy's hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals upon his head, and the Lord will reward you. You see, God, in his providence, he's provided for you. Not so that you may sit in spite for those around you. He's given you all that you have so that you may love and provide for those around you. Yes, even those whom you disagree with and who are against you. God has redeemed you so that you may be a part of the redemptive work in others' lives. Not so that you may be a part in the condemning work of others' lives, but in the redemptive. Number four, doctrine on redemption demands relationship. If God is going to include us in the redemptive work, then we should try to pursue relationship. There in Titus 3, he goes on in verse 8, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. Why? So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. You see, God is trying to put within us the idea that redemptive work happens when we love. Redemptive work does not happen when we condemn because you and I have no place to condemn. It said it earlier in the text. It said that you and I, we were in selfish places. We were disobedient. We were pursuing passions and pleasures of our own. But God in His mercy for us came to save us. Send His Son so that He may die for our sins. But you and I, for some reason, when we look at the world, especially when we look at those who disagree with us, who don't look like us, who don't sound like us, who don't believe like we do, when we look at them, we only look in condemnation rather than looking in redemption. God wants to redeem their heart. God wants to give them an opportunity to come to know Him. And if we would ever shut our mouths for two seconds and love someone rather than trying to indoctrinate them, God may actually have a chance in that moment for His redemptive work. 
If we truly believe in God's redemption in man's life, then we should be seeking every relationship. When Jesus called Andrew, and he called the rest of the fishermen out of the boats, he said, I will make you fishers of what? Men. I will make you fishers of other people. You are going to have to do this relationship thing. And he calls to us in the same way. I'm calling you into something so that you may go out and tell others in relationship the goodness of God. If we truly understand the redemptive work of Christ in our lives, why would we not seek out relationship with that same purpose in mind? I love what the great writer said. The gospel work is simply one beggar telling another beggar where the food is. You and I are supposed to go into relationship with others so that they may come to know the one who authors relationships. Redemption does not push people away. It draws them in closer. Fifth, doctrine on God's love trains us for fellowship. If we truly understand God's love and the fellowship we share with Him, the fellowship that is apparent in the Trinity itself, then we will begin to understand the manner in which we should fellowship with one another. You and I ought to love one another. Believer, follower of Jesus Christ, I just want to tell you something for a minute. It's okay for you to love somebody else who believes in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it seems when I look at the church today, when it seems when I look at some of the people in the church today, it seems that we have this big barrier between being a follower of Jesus Christ and loving another follower of Jesus Christ. We struggle so much with this. And the world has looked on, and for a long time they've said, I wouldn't go to that church. All they do is fight with each other. What are they going to do to me? I'm an outsider. We've got to learn to love one another. We've got to learn that if we truly believe what God is for us, that He demands relationship with us, then we must truly believe that He wants relationship with that other person. He truly wants all of us to be in relationship together. John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Jesus Christ speaking a new commandment says, Listen, love one another just as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? Praise God unconditionally. Praise God Jesus loved me sacrificially. Praise God that Jesus loves me intimately. When was the last time you loved someone within the church that way? Unconditionally, sacrificially, intimately. we truly believe that God loves us and that He's shown His love for us, then we should follow Jesus' command and we should love one another. Finally, the doctrine on God's grace obligates us towards love.
when we read through Titus chapter 3. <laughs> it's a story of grace. But as for you, God in His mercy sent Jesus Christ to die for us so that we may be called heirs. That's grace, folks. You and I didn't earn it. There's no way you and I could work for it. That's grace. And grace should move us to love. If we truly understand God's grace in our lives, and we truly understand God's grace for others, how can we do anything but love someone else? If I have prophetic powers, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have great doctrine, but have not love, I am nothing. Let's pray together.